Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom design storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. This November, audiences broke box office records on their return visit to Wakanda. Black Panther Wakanda Forever built upon the impressive legacy of Ryan Coogler's original Black Panther and expanded the mythology of the powerful African nation. One of the reasons these entries into the massive Marvel Cinematic Universe have been so celebrated is the way Coogler and his creative team have woven various African traditions into the fictional, technologically advanced nation of Wakanda. Academic critics call this combination Afrofuturism. And while the concept has been around for years, the Black Panther films are bringing renewed attention to this aesthetic and political concept. I'm Kendall Phillips, and on this episode of Pop Life, we'll be examining the concept of Afrofuturism and the way contemporary creators are drawing on the rich traditions of the African continent. Here to help us understand this movement is Tiffany Bender-Abdallah. Tiffany is a multimedia producer and content creator who has worked for such media giants as Condé Nast, Spotify, Sirius XM, and The Wendy Williams Show. Tiffany, welcome to Pop Life. Hello, hello. It is so good to talk to you, Kendall Phillips. You are, I should say, Tiffany is a former student and longtime friend, so it's wonderful to chat with you. And what an exciting time with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever just came out, uh, broke some records for uh, November attendance. Have you seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? I have. I ran to the box office to be a part of like that first weekend number, and it was outstanding. Uh, so you So you liked it. How did you think it did? Because clearly... Kugler and his group had a pretty tough challenge to overcome. Uh, do you think they pulled that off? I think they pulled it off. I think they pulled it off so beautifully. And it allowed for this incredible, like, secondary storyline story outside of what we'll get into with Afrofuturism, which I think is how to deal with grief, right? Like, I just, I, I don't think I've ever seen um, grief dealt with so beautifully on screen. No, it's amazing because, you know, I, I, you know, the opening of the film, this is not spoiler for folks who haven't seen it. First of all, if you haven't seen it, why haven't you? Go, 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 go out, see it audience, right go, go see it. <laughs> um, but, you know, you expected an opening that is reverential and about grief and mourning. And I half expected the typical action film would then leave that behind and run full flight into all the adventures right. and excitement. And there certainly is action and adventure in the film. But I was surprised that they kept that theme. It didn't just go away, which is a, a more honest portrayal of grief, I guess. A hundred percent. And I think um, it taps into even deeper what we saw in the first one with the ancestral plane, right? Like it was a constant throughout the film. I think now audiences just had this like extra emotional tie because obviously we're fans of Chadwick outside of the film. And then he was absolutely our Black Panther within the film, right? And so it was a constant like threading all throughout. And it was so empowering to see how the lead characters were able to like take that love and that grief at the same time and, and really go on and fight. And it's interesting, you know, as you talk about the ancestral plane and that plays obviously a big role in this film as it did in, in the first Black Panther. But one of the things that, that struck me was this point of tension, at least it seemed to me in, in Wakanda Forever, between this technologically advanced, very scientific uh, approach, and clearly there's a lot of technology in Wakanda, 
and the tension with the traditions and the ancestral plane. And there's a, I won't spoil it for people, but there's a, a specific point of tension around one character who kind of wants to lean into the technology and doesn't really want to accept or, or be connected to those larger spiritual traditions of Wakanda, which struck me as very much kind of where Afrofuturism sits. I think that was a beautiful analysis of what was happening there. And if you saw the first one, you could guess who is this person that is struggling with technology <laughs> and I think tradition. Um, one of my favorite lines from the first film was um, when Winston Duke's character goes, you know, a child that scoffs at tradition, right? Again, that that was its own hero journey within the hero journey. Um, I think we also like were able to see again, going back to the ancestral plane, how historically African-Americans both held very, very tight to, you know, tradition and ancestral lineage, or at least try to seek that out. And then fast forward, wanting this future where like, there is no oppression, there is all of this freedom. And I think that this film was a great apex for that kind of story. Yeah, and it definitely did start with that first Black Panther. I think you're right. I, I, I had not remembered that as clearly, but the, the seeds for this point of tension were, were laid there. So talk to me a little bit from your perspective, again, as a content creator. Talk about the impact of that first Black Panther film on the culture. To me, it, it seemed to be the moment that Marvel really moved beyond just being very successful to being really culturally important. Is that your sense as well? 1000%. Um, and I took a few notes here. So don't think that I'm this much of a geek, but I am. And you know that, Kendall. Um, <laughs> but, you know, last the, the first Black Panther opened with 1.2 billion in ticket sales. That was one of the that, that set a precedent just standalone for, I think, um, the universe. Yeah. But also 100% for a Black director, a Black director directing at this level who comes from, you know, from a neighborhood that looks like a neighborhood that I come from, like, all of those things came together and really, really blew me away. And what I loved about what I can only hope the film and working on this series had done for Ryan is that he mentioned in this interview in Hot 97 where he talked about he did, you know, he traveled all across the continent, like to really get a feel. And and I, and the authenticity is all throughout the film and both of them. Um, but you could tell that he had done the groundwork and traveled and met so many fantastic people. And the takeaway was that we are so much alike within the diaspora, right? Like he talked about how like, you know, in on the continent, like young men would stand outside as a show of like, you know, look how strong our tribe is. And like, they would stand out in these beautiful garbs and just be chilling like on the block. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and that felt familiar to where he was from. That is a thing, right? Across a lot of communities within the, within the black diaspora where we just chill outside and we look good. And so to know that there is like these, these ties of our ancestry, excuse me, ancestry all throughout and to see that displayed in such an authentic authentic way in the film, for me as a as a aspiring filmmaker, as a content creator, as a producer, as a writer, I had never seen it done so well. I'm not going to lie, like a lot of the times these kind of films feel cheesy. They feel like the Kente <laughs> just feels like very inauthentic. I learned so much visually from the first film and I was not disappointed for the second one. No, it's very impressive the, what Kugler and, and, and a really impressive team of a whole lot of folks were able to draw on so many different traditions, as you point out, from across the African continent, so many different histories, languages, aesthetics, weave them in, but weave them into every aspect of the film. So it's not just that Wakanda is in Africa, 
but it is the clothing, the worn, the the visuals, the images, the the use of animal uh, imagery, even in the technology. It just seemed like a really impressive effort to draw on all those traditions and then weave them creatively into something that looks very African, but also looks very futuristic. Very African, very, very futuristic. I think like just some of the visuals just it blew my brain in the way that like back to the future had right like mm. my i remember my brother like going wild for the marty mcflies like and you you feel that when you're walking into shuri's lab you feel that when you see some of the technology that the black panther and the dormilogy are using like you and, and also again if you look at the dormilogy they're still so ancestrally tied right like they're using these spears that like if you look at a lot of the traditional from maybe like central in East Africa tribes, they use those kind of spears, right? But then like the spears did the coolest thing <laughs> that you can come up with in the lab. And so again, I think it was just so well done. Now, so it's, it really has brought this conversation about Afrofuturism to the center, maybe back to the center of culture. And I feel like with Wakanda Forever back and, and, and drawing so many audiences in, people are back to talking about this. So for you, what does Afrofuturism mean? For the, for the listeners who maybe have heard the term bandied about in the newspapers or in the trades, what, how would you ex- describe Afrofuturism just to our average listener? Of course. Um, for me, Afrofuturism is a I, I would say a consciousness. I can't say it's a it's a medium, it's a space. I think it's a consciousness that sometimes you you have to live in a space of almost delusion is the wrong word, but so far out there again, where a lot of that oppression, that racism, it's it's an afterthought. Um, and for me, again, it was a transformative consciousness, I'll say, to stumble into, especially going back myself to the continent and experiencing a lot of what I had always hoped freedom as a black woman would feel like and so again like a lot of what afrofuturism initially felt like and feels like to me and how it manifests in my work deeply starts at a meditation right and then i get to either write journal create these things that like don't exist in a world that are hinged by anything i think for other people that might also include some like not might, it absolutely includes some layer of sci-fi and all that kind mm. of stuff. But for me at its core, Afrofuturism is is a deep, deep consciousness that combines a lot of these things. Yeah, it does it because it does seem like there there are approaches, particularly to the African traditions and, and the experience of African Americans that see that horrible historical period, the Middle Passage and slavery as this fracture. And so everything on the American continent is, is is removed from and disconnected to. But there does seem to be a real power in, as you're saying, this kind of reconnecting, this consciousness of reconnecting to those African traditions, those African roots that go back thousands and thousands of years. Prior to Black Panther, or I guess in addition to Black Panther, are there other examples in pop culture that stand out for you as, as examples of that kind of Afrofuturist consciousness, optimism, engagement? A hundred percent. I think another like action space that we can look most immediately at that also ties um, a very distinct time in history is Watchmen. Um, Mm. No spoilers, but it's been out for a while and shout out to Regina King. Um, You know, Watchmen opens with the Tulsa massacre, right? Um, But then you just have these like really cosmic conversations and dimensions to the storyline with uh, Mr. Manhattan. That was one of my most favorite recent Afrofuturist, though, again, on HBO, I don't think that that was the intent, but it did that for me. I'd also say Lovecraft Country was a very, very cool and like 
trippy show to like get into um, from the Afrofuturistic space that, again, is rooted in Black American history. No, and two really impressive and interestingly, two series that only had those one seasons. I know Lovecraft Country, I think there was some plan or desire for there to be a second season. But it yep. seemed as if, as I remember, the uh, creator of Watchmen just sort of said, this is the story. This is it. I- I- I'm walking away. Because it did seem like there was a beautiful point made and I did kind of wonder, and I guess this is also a concern for Marvel, if you keep recycling those that consciousness is there a point where it stops being genuine and maybe becomes commodity? Oh, that's a fascinating question. I think, unfortunately, all art becomes commodity at some point, right? <laughs> um, but that's why, for me, Afrofuturism is a, is a consciousness that manifests itself in these forms of art. Sometimes I might write a, you know, a, a poem that like nobody ever sees that either comes from that meditative space that for me feels and, and looks like Afrofuturism, or maybe it's exactly about that, right? But I, I think that's the argument of all art. Yeah, no. So let's talk about you as a creator. And again, you, you've had a tremendous role with a lot of big companies and you've produced some, some fairly uh, uh, successful um, YouTube uh, content, especially with your aunties and glasses of wine, if I recall correctly. <laughs> Can you talk about, I just feel like we have to talk about the Ask Auntie show. Uh, how, how are the aunties, I guess? Oh my God, the the aunties are doing so well. They are demanding their own season two. <laughs> as they should, as they should. Um, as they should. Um, but you know, also the the best part about like taking a minute from, I think that space is I'm now having the a moment to breathe because what is true of the YouTube, the content creator space is that it is a constant, right? Mm. You got to feed the machine. Um, and so to have some of those wins under my belt helped my confidence 100% as a creator. And so now I've been able to sit back and work on projects that like, even if they don't get the million views, have legs for me and they mean something to me and I feel very proud of. Not yeah. that I'm not proud of my aunties. <laughs> the Auntie Show. For those who haven't seen it, Ask Auntie features uh, two aunties and uh, copious amounts of wine and, and great amounts of <laughs> advice and it is a brilliant show. But I can see how that requires a lot of energy and a certain lightness that maybe is not the only story you want to tell. So talk to me about Africa, visiting Africa, how that changed you, how that shifted your perspective as a creator. hundred um, percent. Like I mentioned, it was the first time that I, it's like a, 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 a sigh, a relief that you just cannot explain. And I've, and I've talked to tons of friends who have since visited the continent for the first time. And we, none of us can quite put our finger on what it feels like, um, but to like land somewhere and everybody looks like you in the airport. And mm. when you get to customs, you know, though my passport's different and they're stamping it through immigration, they're telling me welcome home, you know, and then you go and you visit Cape Coast and, and the slave castles and the door of no return. And you are just filled with, of course, this deep sense of sorrow and to the point of Black Panther grief, right? This unexplainable grief you feel incredibly empowered that like, there's more to my story. Um, mm-hmm. Something I struggled with for a while is I'm from Harlem, New York. And, you know, we had the Harlem Renaissance and, you know, we had the sure. Apollo, but I thought that the depths of my lineage as a black person began and ended at slavery, you know, sure. and to then go and I got married this December in Ghana. Congratulations. And was, thank you. Um, such a transformative experience, but, you know, I learned so much about who I could potentially be, you know, as a black woman in this world. And even beyond that, like I could dream the big dreams and know that I had this now support that spanned across an entire continent. That allows me to just move a little bit differently in this world. 
Sure. It seems like an incredibly transformative experience. Were there particular cultural or aesthetic things that stood out to you that, that were part of that experience? Obviously, the, the experience itself was greater than the, any individual part, but were there particular places you went or things you saw or cultural traditions that you just connected with and said, yeah, that is really feeding my spirit or really connecting to me? A hundred percent. I would say most revolutionary is rest. Mm. I, you know, we come from this work culture and, you know, shout out to my husband. He's always like, sit down, relax, sit down. (laughs) Right. And then to like have that magnified, like during my bridal experience, especially, you know, again, I come from Harlem, New York and the type of wedding I had was one I could not have even dreamed up. And to know that like I could be cared for in that way by an entire community of people. Yes, my community loves me in Harlem, but like there was uh, this element of like extended community family rooted in tradition, right? Like everything we did a part of this wedding down to the types of fabric I wore were from a specific tribe that my husband was from Mm. and it had this kind of lineage, you know, that is something that was absolutely robbed from African-Americans. And so to, again, have this whirlwind of a wedding just so dense with tradition and, and knowledge. At every turn during the wedding, I was told to just lay down. You don't mm-hmm. got to worry about nothing. And that is so foreign to so many, I know for sure, Black women, like just relax and to truly and truly be taken care of. And I carry that with me constantly. I know that if I need a minute, all will be well, it will be okay. Um, And if it's not okay, again, I have an entire community of people that stretches a continent that are, are, that love me and will pour into me and make sure I'm okay. That is a different experience as a black woman. No, I, I think that sounds like an amazing experience and and really wonderful. I think in some ways maybe the real definition of home is the place where you can truly rest and truly yeah. feel safe and protected. And it's it's amazing that you were able to reconnect in that way. So I'm thinking about, you know, again, you as a creator now, returning to the United States, returning to the, the busy world of, of media production and, and thinking <laughs> about your projects and, and the next projects and because I'm also thinking about Ryan Coogler, you know, and I, and I think one of the amazing things about Coogler's work uh, is it, both his earlier work like Fruitvale Station and then certainly with the Black Panther is just the care he takes with uh, these stories, whether it's a very real story as in Fruitvale Station uh, or a, a fictional and yet no less important story in Black Panther. And so I'm wondering for you, what's it like to come back with this consciousness, this experience, uh, this moment of rest, this moment of reconnection, and now bring that and try to think about how you infuse that into your work. Is that an exciting prospect? Is it, is it a bit daunting? It is so exciting. Again, like I was saying with the content, it is something that is so constant. To So to have the confidence to take a minute is something, right? And then within that minute, the stuff you're able to develop and incubate not under the pressure of your own thumb, right? Like I I think a lot of my own anxiety as a content creator is self-induced and that moment of rest, recharge, you got to get inspired, right? Like that is something else that, that going to Africa does for me. Like I just, my eyes get stimulated by new things. I get new scents. I get to touch new, new fabrics, new feels, right? Um, So that moment of rest, reconnection, and and then to be re-inspired, I think, We've seen that in the way his his work is able to grow. I'm excited to see what he does outside of the Marvel Universe. No, it's it's a it's a, an amazing filmmaker, and and certainly I've been impressed by what he's done in Marvel. But but absolutely looking forward to seeing what he's doing beyond that. And thinking about the impact of of you know Black Panther and, and Coogler and and this kind of moment, I guess you could call it this moment in global culture 
engaging African culture. And again, you know, for many years, the, the wisdom in Hollywood was you couldn't have a primarily black cast or you couldn't have a primarily African-centered story because American audiences wouldn't go for it and global audience wouldn't go for it. And yet, as we know, a billion dollars in ticket sales shows people were ready to embrace this new tradition. So I'm wondering about what the future of Afrofuturism is. How do you see it continuing? Do you think it will continue to grow and evolve as other creators take it up? Yeah, but I think we will find ourselves as Black creators needing to figure out how we continue to hold on to our IP in the future, right? Like we have seen what's happened with our art historically in this world and, you know, the future space wherever you want to call the big great out there, right, will be no different. Uh, How will we take the lessons that we've learned and implement them to continue to keep Afrofuturism a safe space for Africans? (laughs) Are there creators that you think of and think that they're doing that right, like that they're really owning their brand, their identity, their intellectual property, their content, and moving it in an intentional way? Are there there folks that stand out to you, whether in music or film or television or, or other kinds of content creation that seem to be really kind of promoting an Afrofuturist authentic voice and doing it in a way that that doesn't seem endangered by, uh, you know, all the corporate interests that will want to snap onto it. Yeah, um, I look at artists, potentially, arguably one of the biggest Black artists in the world right now, one of the biggest artists in the world, Burna Boy. Um, sure. His Sound itself doesn't play into Afrofuturism in the way like a Sun Ra or, you know, George Clinton kind of would. But he lives in that consciousness, I think, of what the future feels and looks like for um, us as Black people across the diaspora. He has a fantastic um, animated series online called The Secret Flame. And it's like this cosmic journey of like his life as a superstar. But, you know, he has to pay reverence to the ancestors who live in this like cosmic space world right and so again it's that like ancestral meets future consciousness that he lives in as an artist and that manifests in work that is not necessarily afrofuturistic right um but to that point i think him his mother his family um they do a really good job at protecting what they have and mm. what they have going on. Um, and I think, again, a lot of that is tied to how rooted a lot of African communities are in tradition and community. Yeah, and I wonder if, if artists like Burner Boy or Ryan Coogler or I suppose even folks like Beyonce or Lil Nas X or other folks who are kind of uh, yeah. Missy Elliott, I think, back in the day, was certainly course, pushing Missy this Elliott. kind of new okay. aesthetic. <laughs> Outcast, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, much, much, much missed outcast. I'm wondering if, if they are having an impact. Do you have a sense that they're having an impact on the younger generations? Is our younger, especially, you know, young black folks and African-Americans growing up in this country, are they looking at that and, and feeling more connected, more conscious, as you call it? I think so. Um, I There definitely feels like there's a, uh, a renaissance happening across the diaspora for sure. I think most specifically when you mentioned Beyonce, she has a video called, a uh, song called Find Your Way Back. Mm. And th- the video ties into a lot of that cosmic ancestral conversation. I don't think it's being heralded as Afrofuturism, but I do think to the point of Afrofuturism really being a state of consciousness, there's an awakening happening for sure. Yeah, it is interesting. It seems that Afrofuturism, which, which you know, probably started more as a, as you said, particularly science fiction Delaney or Octavia Butler or this particular uh, Sun Ra as an example, has now kind of diffused into a 
kind of consciousness, as you say, a, a consciousness that that hopefully uh, is taking hold. Uh, we've been thrilled that you've been here to take hold of us and explain Afrofuturism. And now we will move into pop life's most popular uh, futuristic dimension. Uh, Tiffany, we have a little game we love to play with our guests called the Fast Five. So I'm going to ask you five questions with either or answers and ask you to follow your heart and pick them and appropriate for our conversation today. They are all based on Black Panther. Are you ready, Tiffany? I'm ready to go. (laughs) Question number one for you. Which Black Panther villain would you rather meet for a drink and chat? Would it be Killmonger or Namor? I got to go with Killmonger. We got it. I got some questions for him. I think it'd be a more lively conversation. You know, Killmonger definitely has a point of view. He does. He does. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't think that I completely disagree with his point of view. You know, it's funny. I, I, I've had that conversation with other guests in the past. If, if Killmonger was slightly differently oriented, you probably would have made him the hero. But question number two for you, uh, Tiffany, who would you want designing your next outfit? Would it be Princess Shuri, the inventor of the Black Panther costume, or Riri Williams, inventor of the Iron Heart armor? Who, who do you want outfitting you? Loved my girl Riri. Got to go with her. Got to go with it. I love it. She's very good with the paint job. For those who have watched Wakanda forever, you'll see her. (laughs) Question number three for you. Which of these songs uh, from the films is more likely to be on your Spotify most listened to list? Is it Kendrick Lamar's All the Stars from the original Black Panther or Rihanna's Lift Me Up from the new Wakanda Forever? Love my girl Rihanna, but I am still listening to All the Stars today. It is. No, that's a great. They're both great songs. This is pop life is a tough life here for you. Question number four for you, Tiffany. Angela Bassett returns in all her majesty in Wakanda forever as Queen Ramonda, which which of her earlier uh, roles do you think was the most iconic? Was it her performance as Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It or as Stella Payne in 1998's How Stella Got Her Groove Back? Tina, all the way. I, tr- I think an Oscar-nominated performance, so an excellent choice. Finally, question for you, number five for you, Tiffany. Who would you rather sit down to a high-stakes game of poker with? Would it be M'Baku, leader of the Jabari tribe, or General Okoye, leader of the Dora Milaje? Who are you going to play poker with? I'm going to say M'Baku only because he's so hilarious. I don't think M'Baku could bluff. I just don't feel like there's. I think I don't think he, he he's he's <laughs> got true. he's got two. I think I would know immediately if he had a good hand or a bad hand. Tiffany, thank you for joining us and playing our game. So as always, like to end with our uh, wonderful guests asking them, what is in your pop life? What are the things you're binging, listening to, watching? What are you loving in pop culture these days? If I could shamelessly plug, I am loving the music festival happening this December in Ghana called Afrochella, where Burna Boy himself. The spaceship captain will be headlining. Outstanding. That's going to be December in Ghana. We look forward to that. That sounds very exciting. Anything else you're listening to, watching on TV, shows you're binging, content creators you're loving? Actually, I am into the peripheral right now on Amazon. Speaking of Afrofuturism, it is scaring me from using my VR device right now, but a fantastic (laughs) show. Wonderful recommendations, a fabulous conversation. Tiffany, thank you for joining us and sharing your perspective as a creator and critic of culture. And I'll say to our listeners, as we enter the season of Thanksgiving, I just want to say thanks on behalf of all the Pop Life staff, for all our amazing loyal listeners. As always, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, reach out to us on social media. We are at Pop Life, W-A-E-R, on both Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you all later.
Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes.